Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Everybody, Ron Cecil here with Cutting for Sign. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks. Good morning to you, buddy. How's it going? I'm doing well. Happy really? holidays. Happy holidays. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah, we're in it. Did, we're in the, did, we're in the middle that, of it. Did that you, come from the heart? Do you really want When me I croon happy? like that, it's always. <laughs> yes. No, not the croon. There is a yes, part of me that I missed the. I, there, I should have been born in a time when I could croon or. or bellow like really sing with a loud operatic voice yesterday i heard a, a quote it was from my least favorite scientist but a smart guy neil deGrasse tyson and he <laughs> wait a second there are worse scientists there's a bunch of nazi it. ones well that you... sorry sorry maybe i should just say <laughs> one of my least favorite people well those nazi ones are probably worse too god damn it okay fair, fair enough <laughs> you just find them a little annoying okay i find him egotistical as an mrfer He's he's got he's probably he's on the autistic edge, spectrum, man. <laughs> well, that's probably true. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> anyway, listen to him anyway. Okay, dude. He said something to the effect of that there are so the universe is so big that there are versions of yourself that have done almost everything that you've done in your life. That's how many versions. You know that in that dement, other dimensions idea where there's a version of you multiverse. That, yeah, yeah. It's like that, but it's like more grounded it's because there's so many planets and so many that there's just so many alien civilizations out there that there just has to be and has been all the versions of you so all that to say i've already done it been there 100 percent. been there done that bought the t-shirt <laughs> you've been there and done it and fucked it up and become like frank sinatra you've done a bunch of them there's the version <laughs> of me that that became wildly famous as a singer <laughs> only yes. to burn out in a tailspin oh, yeah. of addiction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And then recover and have like this two, two month resurgence of great happy life and then dead. Before I was hit by a bus, like it was tragic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a story about an old time actor, Bella Lugosi, the guy who played all the Frankensteins. He did that. He flamed out hard on oh. drugs and addiction and then came back and had this little resurgence and then died do we do you die from the hard hard living i think so yeah he died in his sleep and he was really afraid of death oh well good i mean it's merciful they died in his sleep if he was afraid of death yeah yeah mm, mm. well hey can i plug uh can i plug something i've been working on only if it has anything to do with what we're working on right now yeah. I don't want to hear about like your new like <laughs> Go fuck yourself. mattress delivering service. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a mattress delivering service, no, never mind. I was just going to say something bad. <laughs> bad boy, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to encourage uh, listeners to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, and also, uh, we are setting up and have set up a Patreon. So look us up, Cutting for Sign. And we're opening some uh, more avenues to support us and um 
the last one is you can support us directly through Anchor FM. Just go to the Cutting for Sun website. I'm sorry, you can go to any of our web episode descriptions and there's a support button at the top of the episode description that is a very easy process to support. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that. Thanks, buddy. Feels good. Feels good to, to do that. What do you think about our guest today? Speaking of support, this guy's he's, been very he's a, Well, David's a guy that's been on the wings of our life. I mean, if you're alive for a long time, but as, as the life of the podcast has gone, he's like been this kind of silent supporter, uh, not so silent with you and I, and even he's on a, he was on an episode. He was yeah. the one time we had a third person. Our most popular a, episode. Yeah. And it was, he's the reason we had that episode because he was the, that's a good call. You know, he was the guy who found, yeah. uh, Steve um, Maxwell. Yeah. Steven. He introduced me to Steve Maxwell and then I took a big chance and, and, well, Steve Maxwell was one of the first kind of like famous people I, I attempted to reach out and express my gratitude to. And Steve got back and then to me, and then we, you know, I wouldn't say we became friends, but you know, I've, we've seen him in person a couple of times. And then he said, why don't you all come out and record your podcast? Or he offered to be on the podcast. I didn't even yeah. ask him. And, and then he goes, why don't you come up and, and have it in the, in my tiny house. And we recorded on the road. It was pretty great. That was a great trip. I had such a <laughs> yeah. good time on that trip. Like that, I look that back was, on that. I'm like, that was, <laughs> that was freaking awesome. Top 10 days of my life. Yeah. That, that 24 hour period. Really? Top oh 10 yeah. Days? And the story of that is in the story of that 24 hours, a good version of it. Do you remember is in the field dressing of that episode? Oh, I need to re-listen to that. Me too. <clears throat> real quick, real quick. There's also a way that you can, as a listener, Mr. And Miss listener, you can go, if you listen to us on Spotify if you go to the the main page of our webs of our podcast on Spotify, there's a little star button right underneath the description, and you can give us a rating there too. Five stars would be delightful. Thank you. Did you just double up the commercial aspect of cutting? I did because uh, we, we we covered the <clears throat> Apple part. And I was like, I I need to go all in. I mean, we're gonna refine it. You know, I need to put both it. legs in my pants, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> I needed some symmetry. The shirt's on. The tag is in the front, but the shirt's on. Daniel's like, let's roll. <laughs> let's let's mix up. it up today. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, but to David, David, I met David through you a few years ago. And I've always liked him, just liked him immediately. And he's a, he is a very interesting character, a person, as a man. He seems like he embodies what we're doing, you know, mm. a lot. I for mean, sure. He, he really, in, the, in the cutting for science sense of what we're doing in life. Well, no, that's actually not how I meant it. Oh. You know, he does. He does. He lives his life creatively like a story, definitely mm -hmm. more than an average person. But I was talking about just in the betterment of himself and the development of himself and trending others, you know, mm -hmm. and the ability to speak about it, the ability to embody it. Yes, he does that. I mean, he does that better than I do. In, in my opinion, because mm. he because he works in a field where he has to practice those skills every day yeah. for I mean, not every day, but every day he works for 10, 12 hours. He has yeah. to talk about it. He has to live it, um, you know, on the front lines of traumatized people who need a lot of support. So I've just seen him since he's working that job. I've seen his articulation and his ability to bring those skills into his own life. Uh, wow, he, he brings it. Mm -hmm. How did you meet him? Through martial arts. Back in Chico, down yeah. in Chico, yeah, yeah, that's the most, yeah, yeah. But he, I, I'm, I'm really right. looking, really looking yeah. forward to speaking with him. He, he, uh, I tried to get him on the podcast. He's a cagey motherfucker, you know. It's like mm. 
there's people who <clears throat> who are legitimately famous who are like, yeah, I would love to. And then with him, he's he's hemmed and hawed for two years. I've got some friends like that too. If you're listening right now, you know who you are. You know who you are. It's like God you're, you're damn, fascinating man. human being, and you're just like ducking and diving. Get you. on the show. Like it's not that big of a deal, you fuck. Yeah, yeah. But I love it. I love that part of him. You know, and and he contacted me this morning, and I thought he was bailing because he does oh, that. Oh, dude, I would have driven over out. there and <laughs> you've seen him ducked him up. Out. With a microphone, <clears throat> he will duck out of the of that ep- the epic trick that I'm gonna trip that I'm gonna reference in our in our um in the opening. Now, hopefully, tell we tell the story today. But he he barely showed up to something we had invested thousands of dollars and months into, and it was like by the skin of his teeth he got there. If you if you remember, remind me because it's a good story. Okay, well let's get into it. He's here. Should we let him in? Or should we make him now wait we just for let him wait. 15 minutes? <laughs> let's just, let's just <laughs> talk let's, for two hours. Let's talk about it for 15 <clears throat> minutes and then let him in. Well, real quick, though, I talked a bunch. So are you good, though? Do you feel like, what are you aiming for? What's in your sights? Um, it's a good question. I, I woke up this morning excited to talk to him. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, he we live in the same town, and I and I rarely see him. Oh, yeah. You live in the same neighborhood. Oh, no, you don't. He moved. Yeah. So I'm just excited to, to catch up with him. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, all right. David Robles, you are a program supervisor at the largest therapeutic residential nonprofit in Oregon. For the last nine years, you have worked with programs in California and Oregon where you have provided moment-to-moment support and therapeutic intervention to youth in need. You are also a second-degree black belt in American Kempo, dabble in Brazilian Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu, are an esteemed member of Fort Liberty, We'll get into that later. And invest a disproportionate amount of your life in the valued pastimes of meal prep and precision <laughs> and the precision of personal grooming. David, you are one of my best friends. We have traveled distant lands together, and one trip, it would not be hyperbole to say, was a true quest. Mm. We have blend we have bled together through both the creation of stories and more so through the living of our own. You have literally stood by me during the most difficult moments in my life, embodying your values of safety, consistency, and not too much, nor too little, predictability. Your success in the betterment of yourself and others has been a slow burn, amateur, trending professional, which is why you're here today. And while you may not yet be the most interesting man in the world, I still see some black in your beard, so there's time. Where is there? David, through sustained immersion within the teachings of great minds, and like Ron and I aspire to do through Cutting for Sign, you have become increasingly articulate and emotionally aware, and yet remain shamelessly, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, and charmingly flawed. You value the light, the dark, the shadows between, That the cat is both in and not in the box. Schroeder's. (laughs) The pursuit of mental stability amidst the chaos, heightened cognitive and physical performance, philosophy, religious experience, solution-based thinking, nuanced and effective trauma therapy, and a continued drive to embody the truth at the core of the shortest poem in the English language. Me, we. All right, buddy. Welcome to Cutting for Sun. 
Uh, thank you so much. I am I am incredibly honored, and I'm just going to give you one of these right here. <laughs> I prostrate myself before you. I have been thinking about this, uh, you know, the intro for some time, and uh, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, and we'll get into that as we continue this conversation. Yeah, man, I uh, I teared up several times writing it, and um, you know, just the love you know between you and I has been really, really special and one of the reasons it was emotional to write too is that as i as i've done it as i did that i was like you know ron has really become a, a very close friend of mine and we've gained it more and more experience in the last few years and some one of those times was with you traveling up to to talk to steve maxwell to port townsend and you know just the love you know between that you guys are my two best best friends you know and i i know that i, I in life i've had many people in the tier of best friends still do and to to have have you two in the same proverbial room you know it means a lot to me thank you for saying that and ron thank you for having me as well i'm so um, glad you're here i was trying to try i mean i was silent because i was like i'm gonna drop some big shit on daniel right now and i couldn't think anything better. <laughs> some big shit what do you mean what kind of, what gonna i was gonna drop? give you shit about all this <laughs> you were gonna you were gonna express some love and you were like no Nah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> One of the most exciting moments of my life was when the three of us took off to Port Townsend in my new in my new little Mazda car that I just bought. It's just the excitement of adventure with your mates. You know, it's good. It was a good trip. It was a super good trip. <laughs> no, it definitely was for sure. And you know, to kind of tie that you know uh, trip together, you know, I think uh, you know we might have talked about this before, but you know, I discovered Steve Maxwell. You know. I don't know, five plus years ago. And while I was working at a group home and just the, the way he carried himself, his philosophy, his um, way of living and practices really inspired me. And then years later to go with you, Ron and Daniel to Port Townsend to interview Steve Maxwell for this podcast or to be a part of that process was mind boggling, bonkers, bonkers experience. And so uh, uh, life can be an amazing and wonderful experience and to bring not, that together yeah. was, not was to mention that, it, it, that we had one night to party and ron and i had <laughs> never right. partied together because you know we we kind of lived different lives in that sense but we that was one of the best partying nights of my life and it was, it was <clears> it ended time. with non-alcoholic rounds of non-alcoholic beers and you know <laughs> two two in the morning at a stranger's house that was just so good that was Again, <clears throat> I won't go into the story because that story is told in depth sure. at, in the field dressing of the Steve Maxwell episode because we recorded oh, the field dressing later and we had a few days to process it. Which but, is probably, I got to say, yeah. severally, <clears throat> probably the most different Steve Maxwell interview ever because every other interview huh. with him is about you know physical fitness or, or security or, or longevity or all kinds of other things like that. And we get into kind of his whole spiritual side in that episode. Yeah, I think, remember I the think... squirrel walked in on us? <laughs> you I do. That? I mean, I do. quite the embodiment of a spiritual practice for a squirrel to come on in and hang out, right? He's like one with nature, communing with nature in this little town. You, you know, know what I also thought about oh, was uh, was the impromptu uh, dead hang uh, contest oh, that we had right challenge. before. Oh, you won that by a lot, right? Because you By like a country mile. So yeah, yeah yeah me and david got we we a physical practice physical feats you know that you know we have varying um levels of experience with that but i love a good physical com competition you know and 
I just mm -hmm. I think that that's a it was a really exciting thing to do. It's not really about winning as much for me at this time as I really do enjoy you know, the play of, of how long can you hang on a bar? Oh, your turn, you know? <laughs> Daniel yeah. went with me no, one absolutely. time to uh, run an errand and we pull into the parking spot and just offhanded, he mentioned how you guys had both trained together, had trained for a boxing match. And like, this was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Did both of you fight? Nah. Not each other, obviously. <laughs> we didn't fight each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we spent some years fighting each other for sure. Um, yeah, that was what, 2005, you know, I think I just became a black belt in Kempo Karate and Daniel approached me, uh, sometime in the fall, early fall to do this boxing for fitness challenge. And essentially I think what it was and correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel was, uh, you know, uh, these smoker fights or events were going to be put on and the proceeds what for this event. Uh, yeah. I've never heard that. Uh, time. just like, uh, exhibition or practice fights i think just i think okay. that was the phrasing it was through um, a local yeah amateur boxing gym yeah okay it was it was and so the you know uh spectators could buy a ticket to you know have fun and, and watch these fights and those proceeds were going to go to the boys and girls club and so i, I personally you know i gotta say you know yeah oh, go ahead no please uh, I got to say that, um, you know, I guess to uh, tie in our relationship, Daniel, uh, Daniel's been that person for me who has, uh, uh, you know, encouraged me to do these types of things, physical challenges and or, you know, um, live outside of my own uh, personal experiences to, uh, to, you know, to grow, to expand. And so this event was that D Daniel asked me if I could do it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting and we did it. And uh how long did you guys uh, yeah, for? I know that I lost. It was like a month. Uh, it, it was. Oh, cool that was not long. Was, you were having to like. Of, I mean, we shit. were already. I, we were both deeply entrenched in the martial arts at that time. Yeah, um, absolutely. But we we would double up and we would go train for boxing uh, for one month. So it was pretty intense uh, training for boxing, especially for just like a whoever comes. But it was so fucking cool because they packed that place. It was for one fight and it was packed and it was a big space. So you really got the feeling of like ducking under the, under the, the ropes. Shit. You know, someone <laughs> pulled the ropes up oh, you yeah. had gloves and, and it was hype. There was a bunch of strangers, you know, and, and you didn't really know the person you, we didn't know the people we were fighting. We, we, Whoa. you know what I mean? It was a real experience of boxing about as real as you can get without becoming a boxer. And, and to this day, that was such a transformative, uh, time for david that i october is always kind of his favorite month but yeah. that took it over and these to this day i'll text him october one and be like <laughs> that's on. Right. and then that became october state of mind and so just like well fuck once a month what <laughs> fuck once a year you know and so we just like i i to this day think of that and and live in october state of mind you know whenever i mean i mean that's what i kind of go for all the time I, I, yeah, what's we really on, interesting I know about this that event for me. What the hell happened at the event? Did you guys? Oh. How many rounds was it? Three. That's a great question. Five rounds. And so uh, three. I, I believe it was three, three, three rounds, rounds, and they were like maybe yeah, like three rounds, two minutes, and um, you know my experience, and Daniel can share his. You know, uh, prepared. We trained for the month. We were in really uh, excellent condition. <laughs> And I mean, I'm for anyone there, who's not done anything like this, it doesn't sound yeah, sure. like a long time, but a two or three minute fight. Oh, most yeah. people will blow out yeah. in 20 to 30 seconds. They like call it back is... in my running days, they called the hardest race the 800 meters, which is a two minute plus or minus race. 
because it was that. Mm, And I I thought I in the fighting that I've done, I equate fighting more and more to the 800. Hmm. Yeah. You're running three all outs for, you know, nuanced fighters can, can understand how to pace. Yeah. They can pace. Yeah. But it's hard. It's fucking hard. Very hard. Yeah. You were saying, David, the first five seconds of David's fight is, is what he's building toward and is very okay. unexpected, Ron. Oh, yeah. Very unexpected. Well, yeah, all this buildup, a month of training, just got my black belt. We're in our early 20s. We're doing this together. We're training nightly. And I get out there. I just, bell rings, win. I just won I'm... my fight. I just won my fight. David's up next. That's right. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I get out there and it's like the holy shit moment, like staring at all the people. Like, is, what the fuck am I doing? Split second. Is, yeah. Yeah, I'm a uh, you know uh, girlfriend, parents, family, 400 people, oh, and Jesus. my uh, the you know the um, my opponent, opponent yeah. took that opportunity, that split second, to just throw one oh. right down the pipe and caught me right on the chin put and put my ass to the fucking mat. Oh, fortunately, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First five seconds. <laughs> For, fortunately, I have a decent chin. And I was able to get back up, and the fight was fucking on, man. It was just full-on slugfest, not much technique. Who can try to knock each other down? And uh, we went the distance. It went to split decision, which now I can say that I was incredibly grateful That's for that experience and for my yeah. willingness and or ability just to kind of like stand up and fight. And I lost the fight, and... I was actually pretty depressed afterwards. I, I, <laughs> I get was, that. Man. I totally get that. <laughs> I, got totally I mean, yeah, I was hurt really for sure. Won the rest of the fight, but it's just such an impression to get knocked down so fast and so dramatically. You know, they, there's just no oh, way. Absolutely. Yeah, it was embarrassing. It. Let's just call it what it is. It was really embarrassing. All my people were there. Uh, I had a lot of people saying, man, you won that fight. Uh, and afterwards, Daniel and I and a couple of friends went out. And I remember that was a lot of fun. I had, I had a, a massive headache. I was going to ask, were you hurting? Yeah, were you hurting afterwards? Oh, dude, uh, yeah, definitely hurting. I remember having some drinks with the the friend group. and uh, Did you know that I I did that fight again? You did, yeah. And I think I saw a video and or your t-shirt afterwards, and there was a lot of blood from what I remember. I got fucking destroyed, but I, I was, I have, sometimes I really get triggered into having a lot of heart. And um, <laughs> sometimes I have a lot of <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I the guy was just good. I didn't train as hard, but also the like if I'd have fought the second guy the first time, I might have lost. And, and by guy. my oh, I mean, right. I, like probably would have lost. He was yeah, he was a monster. Sure. For sure. And uh, yeah. but I also hadn't trained as much um, and I was so beat up and bloodied that the guy, the old guy, Joe, big, fat, fat, round, thug looking, mm-hmm. the thing, yeah. you know, to, like <laughs> yeah, looking guy, right. he, uh, he would like stop the fight. And he was like, dude, you need to stop. Right. And I was like, no, I'm good. And so it went, it went the rest, but it was brutal, man. <laughs> damn. Damn. <laughs> it was Did you, uh, God, people. Yeah. It's, I've got so much to say about being in a fight it's not it's not as fun as you think it is <laughs> it's really hard not at all i don't know that's a good question i've never been in a fight in in real life like an actual street fight but i've sparred a lot and i always really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun it was really fun and and i broke i tore acl in sparring i broke 
I didn't break any bones, but I, I black eyes, bloody noses, you know, but I always, it was really invigorating. There's something in me in in my personal inner world. That's always fighting, you know, I think. Yeah. I'd say that. Yeah. With each, with your, you know, I almost, you know, being, being a martial artist or practicing, you know, various arts, you know, I think what I really appreciate is the philosophy and or lens by which, you know, we establish values, um, that, um, that recognize that that physical practice is really important and powerful in many ways, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then what you do with that skill set is, you know, create values, um, you know, um, perpetuate humility and respect and care for others. So I think that's the wonderful paradox. And it's been discussed at, you know, in various ways, how like physical challenges and practices can in, enlighten our nervous system, if you will, because we are definitely programmed and wired to do those things. At the same time, you know, the benefits of those skills are far more expansive than the physical, emotionally, spiritually, and can also help us conduct our ways in a way that is safe and, and consistent with our well, values finding, finding yourself at least one physical practice that matches your matches your personality on a lot of different levels, you know? Like, I remember someone, a martial artist one time, said that their, their martial art, art, practicing it, training in it, challenged their mind, body, spirit, you know? And for them, mm -hmm. that, that was the only thing that could do that. And for me, it's funny because I'm curious what you guys think about this. My life's physical practice has gone in this arc that is very easy to m make a metaphor out of. And it went from distance running intensely to martial arts to dance. And that arc of running to or from your problems, yourself, mm. to fighting, confronting yourself, to dancing with yourself, I think has perfectly expressed my arrival to a physical practice that is probably the one that I am most meant to do. And for me, it's really important for that physical practice to involve other people like, you know, dance. It, I, I'd partner dance primarily, you know, and the confrontation in the wild. This is what I love about dance as opposed to my experience of martial art, which I was very blessed with a lot of people. I learned a lot of lessons, you know, but there's something about being able to go out to practice and train dance personally alone with other people practice train and then go into the wild. One of my dance instructors said, you know, yeah, now we're going to take it into the wild, but the wild quote in partner dance, social dancing is a pub with live music, you know, and you yeah. don't know what's going to happen and you're going to do it with strangers. And I always thought, yeah, that kind of be like if you trained in martial arts, but then you got to go street fight three nights a week. You know, <laughs> dude, I, I had this experience last week where I got to go take, uh, David, I, I work, I now work with an organization here in town that helps adults with disabilities get out of the house and do social okay. things and take awesome. care of, uh, um, you know, just errands and things like that. And they had a, there was a, an organization that puts on a, a party twice a month and last week was their Christmas party and it was a dance. Mm. and the music started and yeah. there wasn't a lot of people dancing and a few people got out there and this one young woman i don't know why she thought to come ask me but she just came straight up to me and asked me if i'd dance with her. i was like <laughs> hell yes i will 
Really? We, start, we started dancing and she and I wasn't sure like what level to dance at. And she took the lead and started dancing like we were dancing like you were partner dancing, partner you dancing. dancing each other. You oh, know, you I had my hand on her back. We were holding hands like she, you know, she and she started going. I was like, oh, she knows how to dance. So then That's I started great. taking the lead, started twirling, twist, doing the whole thing. And and she just never missed a beat. So we get two or three songs and I go, how do you know how to dance so well? She's like, I took 12 years lessons. And I was like, <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> that was such a good That's time. That's kind of an interesting moment. When you say she'd take the lead, but then the, the position in the arms you just showed was you leading. Did she back lead? What do you she mean? Back led. She back led. So, so she, even though I was in the lead position, yeah, she, she, I, you know, she found the rhythm faster. She found the direction faster. Like, but then, but then she like, slowly you became the lead. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's really it was, cool. I love stuff like. That. It was amazing. Here's the best part. She gave you a lesson. She did. <laughs> that's for sure. We get, you yeah, know, then we, then awesome. there was a group because we were dancing. More people came out, and yeah. so more people yeah. got involved, and yeah. and. Absolutely. And then we got people who were kind of sitting down, didn't want to get up to come up and dance. And we were, you know, it was a big group of us dancing. It was fantastic. See, that's great. That's no, great. The best ahead. part, Sorry. though, is yeah. that after after the night, she goes, hey, um, the people in my community throw a prom in February for adults with disabilities. I'm going to be there. Yeah. I, ho I hope you're going to be there, too. <laughs> you can see back led asking you to the prom. Awesome. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> so in. That's, that's you know, I just led. I just led a special event where I uh, did a workshop of blues dancing, but it was really a partner dancing workshop through the lens and the vehicle of blues dancing, and it was kind of like the apotheosis of my personal experience in dancing so far because mm. it was something I created and put on, and I got to fully express my values around it. And a lot of it has to do kind of with like what I was reading in the intro with David excuse me, and David in general is when you're living an individuated life to some extent, that is to say that everything in your life kind of is congruent enough to affect itself, to affect each other, infect itself. You grow in one area and it affects this area over here with increased congruency um, in one's life where everything is kind of has a spot and it's integrated. Then you can, you can become a better dancer by changing your body somehow and getting fixing your body like uh, or developing your body or by pro progressing in your in your profession that'll change in effect and i noticed that with martial arts and as i've chosen you know more aligned things to be involved with you know um that is one of my favorite parts about living is how you can i Absolutely. can take time off of one thing for potentially a year or more and actually get better at it because that thing reflects mm -hmm. the growth that I've experienced in other areas in my life. I've, I've, I absolutely agree. And yeah. as you were saying, sorry, Ron, as you were saying, as you were saying that, Daniel, I think about this concept that I kind of learned about listening to, is it the Huberman lab? Mm -hmm. uh, he's a neuroscientist yeah. over at Harvard, I believe. Yeah, um, it was uh, Stanford. What's yeah. that? Oh, Stanford. Yeah. Thank you. And he was interviewing Ido Portal and they were talking really? about various things, but one thing that, uh, that uh, Huberman mentioned was um, that he mentioned this biologist by the name of Edward Owen Wilson. And he wrote this book, I believe it's called Consilience. And essentially the concept is like various mental models or experiences or the way I'm distilling it for myself, various mental models or experiences kind of smash together to create something that's far greater, far greater than those mental models. Hmm. And I find great value in that because you just mentioned 
Uh, what you mentioned, Daniel, was your experiences in various practices, but not only that maturing emotionally and mentally has created something far greater than those individual practices. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Because it, awesome. it, it's like in dance, you know, that workshop the other night went great, but I, I had an unexpected experience that made a lot of sense. I met someone there, uh, this uh, lady who they said, hey, there's a fusion dance thing that these um, two dancers who are new to town are teaching on Wednesday nights. And I was like, no, oh, fine. Okay. She goes, you should come. I said, okay, well, I'm definitely doing the advanced lesson and, the, and I'll do the beginning lesson. I'll do the dance. Um, but there wasn't a question that I would do the advanced lesson. And I got tore up in that advanced lesson. Uh, really? The pattern, yeah. The pattern they were teaching was a little beyond me. It wasn't clear. I looked like a beginner. Well, and in my head, I'm thinking, <clears throat> I just led a successful a really good event. Like people learned there. It was a tricky event. I had live music at the event and hosted a dance afterwards. It was a lot to bite off for a first time of teaching my own thing. And then three days sure. later, I get tore up at this advanced lesson and look like a fool. <laughs> and I laughed at myself thinking if I'd tell the people that led that lesson that I just hosted a lesson, they would probably roll their eyes a little bit. But the reason that the value of mine, it wasn't in advanced patterns, you know, it was in this other this other stuff that comes through partner dancing and I won't get into it really, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of like maturity and nuance that can come through and how you partner dance with someone and a lot of respect and um, a lot of room to not do those things. There's a lot of room to be immature and not respectful and that can ruin a dance um, regardless of how advanced you are in, in the like the moves, you know, and I thought, I thought that was really funny. I was like, oh, I have something different to offer, you know, but I don't have this. And that different stuff to author has offer has come from growing up, you know, in other ways. Oh, absolutely. Will you go back? Mm. To that be dance? Invited back, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't really like their teaching style. You know, one mm -hmm. of my, not to get into it too much, but one of my pet peeves in, in dance lessons is, is just talking and not dancing. You know, like I like to talk, but that was something I was really locked in on on mine. It's like, let's move and not talk the whole time. And, you know, I, I, I can't stand dance lessons where you're just sitting there talking or listening to someone talk a disproportionate amount of time and watching them do the sure. movements that they should be leading us through. You know, I, I, I learned watch one, do one, each one. You know, that's that's how you learn stuff in my book. So, yeah, I, probably what, not, but it didn't have what an excellent. What an excellent excellent experience though because uh you know it's like the rubik's cube moment you're like trying to figure out the thing and you can't <laughs> and you're like shit i don't have the skills and or maybe awareness to solve this but that's a that's such a worthy challenge because one from what i'm hearing you were able to adjust in a spontaneous manner because you have different skills or applicable skills and and some sort of maturity and emotional awareness to offer something you mean at the second oh at the first one yeah right or whatever the second dance was where you were like not that really vibing one. with it. Yeah, no. I mean, I yeah, it was it was it was surprising. It was humbling, you know. But it For also sure. was informative. It was nuanced, you know. And hey, you know, in transitioning into like you being here by the way, and one of the things that I I love most about about this path that you've been on is this word nuance, you know, and and what like when I was writing the the black, the the dark, the light, the grays, you know, and the Schrodinger's cat, you know, it's in the box and it's not in the box at the same time. They say that paradox and holding opposites is one of the frontal lobe neocortex, you know, things that makes us human. And mm -hmm. I feel like you, we, you and I, through, through humor and through conversation, we celebrate that. And you can, Absolutely. I can be a 
a person can like that. I can go and fuck up an advanced lesson and be a little out of my league. When Not you say fuck up, were you were you just were you a disaster? Were they like Daniel? You are embarrassing oh, no, the no, dancing no. community. <laughs> How but, dare you, know, you bring it? But, the... but probably slowed the class yeah. down a little bit. You know, that's no that's no good. Um, but uh, and I but I can have that experience and then have offered a really special valuable thing. You know, three nights before and you know, David, I just appreciate that about you, the ability to hold opposites and speak to that, you know. Thanks for saying that. You know, I've had a lot of practice professionally to flex certain muscles and uh, it's a privilege and an honor to work with the population that I do. And uh, I'll say a couple of things. One, to recognize as like a, a just another human, another nervous system walking around on this planet, like that response to things due to my environmental pressures, you know, uh, home life, from an early age, right? And so working with, with, with people in crisis due to their extreme trauma and triggers and to see certain behaviors that manifest is one, incredibly humbling because I was like, yo shit, I've acted that way before. <laughs> and I grew, up in a sim- I grew up in a safer environment. It wasn't necessarily always safe, but I grew up in a safer environment. And so how do I mature in a way that helps me recognize my behaviors, my patterns of thought, so I can be a safe, consistent, predictable staff for this person who's experiencing intense, acute crisis um, and, and providing that stability for that person. But not only that, like recognizing that I, I, it's my responsi- responsibility to also be stable and emotionally intelligent to provide that safety. That's a main thing that the primary way that your work and development as a human particularly through or crystallized or taken to the next level by your profession, that which is helping young kids all day get through the days and, and live. Absolutely. And kids that have been. These kids know, are in crisis. Yeah. Can I, can I to say some that? Extent, yeah. You know, it, in, in residential care due to, you know, unsafe environment, home yeah. life, or okay. uh, behaviors due to trauma and or certain diagnoses. So their world is upside down and now they're, they're at a place where you're one of the primary caretakers. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. can imagine, you know, you know, think of a, you know, a child who has experienced acute trauma and then due to some sort of referral process, law enforcement involvement or whatever, that, that uh, child gets referred to um, an organization like where I work, where we provide um, intensive residential treatment-based services in a residential uh, setting. It's a locked facility, meaning that, you know, and we can get into this a little yeah. bit, you know, where staff have keys to, uh, uh, to walk, uh, walk around the, the facility and open doors for clients um, because there are safety concerns and behaviors that we're trying to, or risks that we're trying to mitigate. But just that thought alone, you know, just uh, the thought of like being an adult, working with clients, you have essentially power control and they have um, less autonomy. And so how do you you know, conceptualize that, operationalize that. So we're not like institutionalizing people, yeah. how we're trying to understand trauma, crisis, mental health, develop our um, practices to best, better serve these, these clients in crisis and or just with treatment. So they can go to a place where it's safer, whether they're going back to parents, foster care or being adopted. Well, and the way, the way that, what I absolutely love about your situation and the way that you 
have arrived to it. You know, it wasn't exactly what you wanted to do, but uh, with, with your mm -hmm. career, um, but it is certainly in the line with what you wanted to do uh, is that everything that you learn to do in a heightened and very specific situation, that is to say at this residential home applies to not only your life, but I would argue everybody's life who's living today in, in society because to some extent, I think based on the environment that this body has theoretically been created in for millions of years, the environment we live in now compared to what that environment looked like for millions of years is in some ways traumatic, dramatic, different than and out of line with you know, the, the nature we've lived in. I understand that life is a lot easier now than it has been in the past, deep past in a lot of ways too. But I just think that a nervous system that is now can get launched through the air for six hours and end up in a different part of this planet. That's mm -hmm. a traumatic experience. Maybe trauma is a, is not the best word. Maybe there's a better word to describe that, but it's certainly jarring you know, to our nervous system. And so therefore just being in this world these days with all of these new stimulations that are very, very new to, to these, this nervous system in this body that's been created. I think that the, a lot of the principles that you learn can just be applied to anyone, let alone most of most people probably also have legitimate trauma in their life or, or definitely someone who they are close to. So these principles of safety, consistency, predictability, mm -hmm. you know, and then the the many practices and versions um, of how that is expressed in different situations, I just think is what a great life skill, you know, what a great life skill. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, I, you know, I think about, yeah, honestly, working with the clients that I do, the people that I do, um, it's also a form of therapy for me. Um, being a part of a therapeutic milieu and environment. And once again, like I mentioned, recognizing my patterns or reactivity towards certain stressors yeah. and allowing myself to internalize some of the practices, lessons, um, you know, humbling myself and, and recognizing that I'm no greater than, than what is happening, no greater than any other human. I have my certain experiences. I'm privileged and I'll get to the point. Um, I've been able to increase my distress tolerance, increase my ego yeah. strength, um, due to my environment and the privileges of making certain amount of dollars and the people that I have in my community, I am a, um, I, I, I have a safe uh, home and environment and I'm privileged to have those things. But not only that, it's a privilege to like, you know, self-actualize, right? To get yeah. to be at the top of, of, a, uh, of your life. That is an absolute privilege because there are a lot of things supporting that person, myself, any one of you to get to that place. And there are people who are far less privileged and have um, generational mental health and or poverty that don't have those experience or don't have those opportunities. And so just kind of existing in this place, it's incredibly humbling and, uh, uh, and educate. Um, yeah. It's incredibly humbling and um, inspiring. And I, I receive a lot of like personal benefit from it. Well, there's a couple of things there too. One of the things I was going to say earlier about this is that the main way that I've noticed, because I lived with David when he um, moved to Portland. Up before to, Liberty? Yeah. So we that, that mentioning I said earlier before Liberty, you know, him being a member of that, that's a household that I established that the idea was other than 
you know, living and, and having a place to, to live was that this would be a place that, you know, we would focus more than the average person or group of people on the things that make us, you know, thrive in life and grow up a little bit more regardless of our age. And so that's what it was. Um, and it worked, you know, and it still is, it's still in existence. Um, mm-hmm. and I, David would come home and he was having these experiences at work. They would have to sometimes be talked about. Um, but then also th- via three or four of us living together, we would have crunchy experiences. And the way that I saw David's you mean like conflict between each other <clears throat> totally. yeah. and, or, or maybe not between each other, but just in life, you know, David drags yeah. home, you know, from his personal life issues he's working through. I, I do the same blah, blah, blah. And so we get a lot of chance to work on it. And, and I got, and I had some conflicts, you know, come up that were with people who lived in the house, you know? And so David would, he would be doing what he did with kids all day. And then he would have to do it with two grown, grown ass men. Who are probably not as capable as those children. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and what, and the thing that, that translated the most was your, your calm, cool, collected, stable nature and a, a way of being that you, you had have cultivated to be, to not let your emotions, which clearly still happen, but to not let them dictate your, your actions and your words in the moment. Mm. Hugely, hugely helpful. And not only in the moment to get through and not escalate conflict and develop uh, conversation and relax things in that moment, but also I'm, I'm more that way now, having seen you do that while I was really struggling and someone else is really struggling. And now I go, Oh, I can do that more too. I can be that way. And I am Mm -hmm. more that way. You know, what's cool, David is every time we don't get to see each other very often. And, and and I can tell there's this, like, I mean, the listener won't get this. So it's, I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but there's this like definite up leveling in your maturity every time I see you because it's there's been so much time yeah between between sure. and it's always impressive you've always been an impressive guy to me um but to see how oh, you're likewise how you that. are maturing i don't know if maturing is the right way refining maybe it's another way to say it um yeah i think the you know but I like uh, refining. <laughs> before yeah refining is good i remember seeing you this is before our trip to to washington I hadn't seen you in a while. And then I ran into you at a grocery store and we started talking and it was like right before the pandemic hit. So people were, were, right. were like panic buying <laughs> and we, we were standing yeah. in the, um, in the canned bean section at the local yeah. Yeah. mega, mega bar here <laughs> section. And on That's top right. of that, on top of that, you're like, by the way, Daniel's really hurt. He was in a bike accident yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that and, was that close to that time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think I, within a day or two, bought you some groceries. Daniel brought some over, but you did. You were one of the few people who helped me out. Yeah. But I think that you do that too, Ron. You, if I see you consistently, but I can spot change, you know, the change you're talking about with not having seen Dave. So very apparent. Mm. But there are, it's one of the reasons that I, this podcast has been one little realm where you and I can do what one little realm to some extent, to a small extent, what David's doing. It's, 
it's a field where we can engage with another person, an unknown, a lot of unknowns, and speak our way through it and be calm and grow. You know, and I don't want to compare what we're doing the podcast directly to what you're doing. That's not what I'm saying. But there isn't, it's an, an arena that we're creating to engage with life. And through doing that, I've seen you change, you know. There's ways that you communicate that are more honest, Ron, you know. They're more around what your actual needs are. You've always been respectful, but that nice guy part of you, that that has changed, clearly. And it's nice to see. And you're a more authentic expression of your personality is coming out. And I think that that's what's happened with David is a more authentic expression of his personality. Strengths are being developed. Um, parts that are causing suffering in him and causing suffering in others, those have diminished, you know? And that process, fuck guys, that, I believe in that process as much as anything in this world because yeah. it literally makes life better for yourself and for others. Yeah. You know? Thanks for saying that. And I, and I see that in you too. And I, and I, I like that authentic expression of, of how a of being, I think that's a good phrase. I think I messed yeah. it up a little bit, but you mentioned the nice guy thing. And, and for me, that looked like being polite and respectful, but then not, I'd say really not even understanding how to articulate my desires and my needs and my boundaries for safety. I just didn't know how to articulate those things. And it took some, a lot of reflection, a lot of intentionality to understand mm. what was being lost in me, neglected in me, um, left out. And, and you've gotten a front row seat at it, Daniel, to watch me express, you know, experience those things. Um, and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it feels like it's working for sure. It definitely feels like it's working, but I, well, I, Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I just, there's, people are, I am attracted in myself, just speak for myself, to when I'm real. <laughs> and that's not a thing you aren't, and then you are. You can, yeah. there's a level of authenticity, you know? I feel, I feel like it's kind of like tuning an instrument sometimes, you know? And my instrument goes out of, have you ever played a guitar that, goes out of tune like a motherfucker like i just replaced the catholic the catholic the, the classical strings <laughs> on my guitar and those yeah. take days to adjust because Dude. they're they you know and, and i'll play half a song and then you know the high e string goes out of tune i gotta stop and there's guitars yeah. that won't stay in tune right yeah they won't and what a cool because of the way the wood responds to life use to the weather the strings the um, tuning, you know, the tuners themselves can break down. And isn't that like life, you know? Our subconscious wants to be in a certain way. And we're yeah, trying to tune that. We're trying to get into harmony with, with ourselves, with the people around us, with our environment, right? And it just won't stay in tune. It just goes back to this resting state. And that that right there is like, that's what we're doing. We're fixing yeah. our, our, our beat up fucking guitar instrument that wants to be one way, Entropy, you know, wants to take it into yep. the ether and just break it up. Two quick things. My guitar I bought, well, the first guitar when I bought when I was 20 years old in Hawaii. Went through 20 years of me, traveled to Australia with me, spent the night as my pillow on the sidewalk <laughs> on the, on the, in the ditch on the way to Alaska. I took this guitar through the ringer. And about a year and a half ago, it was sitting on the wall. And I just hear it go. 
And it just like, Ugh! it just, something popped in it. And I was like, <laughs> I looked at it and I went, it wasn't a string that broke. It was the, the core spine in the, the spine in the, <laughs> it was like one of the back, the, just, back ribs. <laughs> yeah. My guitar just died. The integrity Damn. that was left, left the building. And I went out and burned it two nights later, man. Did you really? <laughs> and, oh yeah. Burned that fucker. I love that. Picture. Yeah. Love it. <clears throat> so, you know, no, not, not that that really fits our, our life, but uh, then, yeah. the, then the second thing, just to wrap this little metaphor up, is when I taught that dance thing, uh, one of our other guests, and who David knows too, Loki, Loki Miller. Loki played mm. the uh, the lesson and the, the dance afterwards, and two nights before he came to an open mic, I was like, yeah, the open mic was at the same place the dance was. And I said, come check out the space. And he's a musician, and he did. He showed up, played a song for everybody. You know, it was awesome. But his he brought his first guitar, right? And that fucking guy tuned it for seven minutes before he played his song. It wouldn't stay in tune. It was the thing we're talking oh, no. about. And I was like, I appreciate <laughs> you bringing, but he just, yeah. and it was so awkward. He'd start his song and then he'd have to tune it. It was one of the most awkward moments in an open mic or a music situation. Eventually he just goes, I can't do it. And, and it like someone has to give him another guitar. He's never played, but I really think that there's some value to that. Uh, let's keep, you know, our subconscious wants to keep us one way and, and we just got to keep adjusting and adjusting. And, and that's what we're speaking to with you know, big time. And the, and the other thing that I, I think will, will like throw us off is something what David said earlier is how you were depressed after the fight that you lost. Yeah. And there, and we, and as humans, as, as people who are actively looking for change, we look for challenges then the training to the to overcome that challenge and then the challenge of processing what happens after we face that challenge whether we prevail Absolutely. or we in our mind fail and i i'm having a very different relationship with the word failure like i don't know if failure would even exist unless it's death or or you I mean, even, even trying to articulate, I don't know what it is anymore. Like maybe you just give up on life and leave everybody and start a second family. I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, um, there probably is still failure, right? There right. is failure. I mean, you can fail a test. Obviously you can, you can, um, your business can close because of, of things that you do. But I, I, after the response to that failure, the response is exactly what I was trying to yeah. get to is like, totally. but what do you do afterwards? I was laughing when you were talking about that fight. Cause I was, I was in a, this is all coming back around. I went to motorcycle rally at a place called bandit town, California. Have you guys ever heard of that? It's like, it's, it's outside mm -hmm. of uh, Yosemite Valley, like maybe 60 miles Southwest of there. And it's an, it looks like an old Western town. And, and I went to motorcycle rally there. It. The guy went with, goes hey man i signed you up for a couple of games i'm like well, well what are they and one of them was a <laughs> um a motorcycle joust and we would ride these mini bikes in a rodeo arena with with joust sticks with with um boxing gloves on the ends of them and no helmets and just ri ride each other as fast as you can get that little bike to go and then oh hit God. each other and <laughs> and i beat every single dude there except the one guy who <laughs> almost won the previous year so i went through like 10 dudes and <clears throat> you fall off Impressive. the bike i never fell off the bike but that's no. what you're trying to do is knock someone you're off trying the to knock someone off the bike yeah exactly how does this exist and so Love the it. second to last round the guy hits me in the face you're not supposed to see each other in the face but he's frustrated because we're not falling and he hits me in the face and i like and i drop my stick and i but i don't fall 
and I come back around and I'm like, fucker, I'm going to get you, dude. And I smashed his face with my stick. (laughs) And then we almost started fighting. Like we were both like super hot in the collar. We were like chasing each other around the arena. They had to like break us up and we're like, okay. So then (laughs) they chasing each other around on the bikes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was (laughs) like, it it was the dumbest (laughs) looking thing you could imagine. Yeah. Oh and uh and then he hit me in the ribs so hard i like lost my breath um and lost they finally got it to where we only lost for dropping the stick so like it they were like these guys could go all day so whoever drops the stick first so i, I dropped my stick because he hit me in the sure. ribs turns out i broke my ribs and they're you know one or two ribs or something and i had and my but, but my point is about that is like i was so depressed for like days for not winning that thing for a thing I had no idea I was about to get into, (laughs) but that competitive thing that I didn't know was even there had just, you know, like this monster had come up in me. I don't want to say it was a negative experience. I loved it. I had a really good time, but for a few months afterwards, like I'm going back next year and I'm going to get that guy. And I'm, you know, but that, dep- that never not just I, you know after a few months I'm like i don't need to go back <laughs> what, do I, what do i need yeah, to do yeah, yeah for sure but um well you know thanks for sharing that because oh go ahead yeah i mean the that 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 yeah. sadness is real and, and when we think we have it we Absolutely. should have an expectation around something an expectation of success or or what we think it is like that feels real that's almost as hard harder than the actual loss of whatever we've gone through that's, that's a really good point. You know, Dan, Daniel m- mentioned like, you know, process versus solution-based thinking. And so like, you know, from, from my experience from that boxing event, I was depressed afterwards. And there were a couple of things happening for me. I definitely noticed that like m- my dad would experience depression in a similar way. What mm-hmm. I did after that fight was sleep and avoid people. Mm-hmm. And I saw that role model for me and no shame oh. or blame on my old man. I mean, yeah. I love him dearly and we have a really solid relationship now. So that's how I dealt with it. I learned how to like, manage defeat or depression in that way and it took me some time to get out of that and there were a lot of things happening to me emotionally but i will say this that um you know i, I was listening to homo deus by yuval no harari i'm almost done with the book and he, he essentially is talking about where it's like uh, our sapiens? species is, uh he wrote sapiens yes yeah. and this is the, his second book homo deus and so uh essentially towards the end of the book he was talking about uh well he was referencing an experiment uh, by conducted by Daniel Kahneman, who I believe is a famous econom- econo- economist and also wrote Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, I believe. Long story short, our brains has this process. We have the experiencing self, the, obje- the objective part of what's happening, and the narrating self. And so, you know, I oh, think yeah. in this experiment, you know, it, you know, we're pretty good. Our brains are pretty good at like, like documenting what's happening in the beginning or remembering what happened in the beginning and the end. And then afterwards, our narrating self creates the tale. And I think it's really important for me to recognize my experience now is that the tale for me was that, you know, I was able to do something outside of my normal, you know, lifestyle and or experience at that time. And I was able able to, um, you know, learn several lessons because of that and recognize a pattern of behavior. So how I tell the story about this event is far more impactful than losing than yeah. the shame and the guilt because I'm wow. rescripting that. You know, it was an yeah. experience versus like you mentioned, Ron. Like I wanted to win, and that's my solution. That's how I want things to end up. Well, when life doesn't end up that way, what are we gonna do? And so yeah. that's why in in, a, in in many areas in life, I value the process 
and this has been said several times, versus what the outcome is, because we can't yeah. always control the outcome. Yeah. And our well, it anxiety sounds like comes from value, control. It sounds like you've, you're speaking to valuing the recognition of the process that you've had. Absolutely. Because you can write Absolutely. that story. And you can make choices around that, right? For sure. And and the hope is that it, it, it's congruent with the lifestyle that I'm living and it's safe to the people that I, uh, that I care about and love. And professionally, I think, you know, professional, what I do professionally does uh, factor into that. And so, uh, you know, what I try to learn from those moments um, are, uh, you know, the, like I mentioned earlier, you know, what my ego strength looks like, you know, am I attaching myself to an outcome or emotions that don't really fucking matter? What do you mean um, by ego you strength? You know, how am I, yeah, yeah. How am I developing my distress tolerance and how am I, how I'm communicating in a way that's safe. And that takes a lot of fucking practice. There's this other book I listened to. It's called The Willpower Instinct, I believe, by Kelly McGonigal. And she essentially says that willpower or is a muscle that we have to flex. Yeah. So all these other various mechanisms yeah. that we maintain our mental stability and emotional intelligence is a fucking flex. It's a superpower and needs to be practiced constantly. And then how do we distill that or utilize that during that narrating process when we start to tell ourselves certain things about events that help us you know, evolve in a way that allows us to feel empowered, right? Right. This, this reminds me of a conflict that I won't go into the details of it, but I, I sat on it for about a week and, and just, just chewed on it and, and, and processed it. And then I brought it to Ron and it, it had to do with a person that from my perspective was retroactively, I just, I think of it as retconning, you know, like you're going to go mm -hmm. back and write the story between those two points that you just mentioned in a way that, that for, in my opinion, made this person into a victim and then, and at my expense, you know, and I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong for sure. And sometimes you don't think you're wrong and you are, I get all that stuff, but long sure. story short, I didn't really know that there was a mechanism in our brain that, that there can be kind of more scientific objective uh, explanation of it that does that where we know the beginning, we know the end. Now that middle part, we write, we write, mm -hmm. you know, and do we write it in a way that serves us and others and, and, you know, promotes a life that we, you know what I mean? Or do we, or do we write yeah, it in a way absolutely. that disempowers us, you know, and puts the power in other people's hands? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, I, definitely. And so I think for me, and I'm probably throwing a lot of things out there, but in terms of like managing my own emotions and this process by which I create stories, um, my lens is how I feel empowered, how I feel safe, and how I am of service to others. So that story is really important for me um, because it allows me to build connection and relationships. So if, say, Daniel, you and I or anybody else are having some sort of argument, I know the end, hopefully the end process is you and I have some sort of like, um, uh, you know, we can recognize our perspectives and come together in a way that affirms our friendship that is safe and consistent. And so that like process, that storytelling mechanism that we have, the emotional aptitudes that we develop to keep ourselves safe and to affirm relationships is my lens. You know, that's the storytelling process. That's what I tell myself when I go out into the world. I that see. That's the type of person. How do you start to catch yourself sense? when you're, yeah, it does. How, how do you start to catch yourself when you, when you realize that narrative 
is wanting you to get back in bed and avoid people and Oof. you know like the the because I, I i hadn't thought that's about a, it that way before question. yeah 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 i you know that's a really good question and and i don't know if i have an exact answer for that i do know that like lately you know part of my like um my psychological center revolves around stoicism and um you know, which isn't necessarily trauma-informed. I love what the Stoics have to say about like, you know, you can only control yourself. You can't control others. Managing your emotions is, you know, virtue, um, you know, those types of things. And, uh, you know, uh, I was thinking about like the introduction and what it was going to feel like. And, uh, you know, there's this concept in Stoicism. Uh, it's it's called, you probably all heard it, like memento mori. Like mm -hmm. we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, and this is something to be reflected on. And what we're doing with our life is really important. And so, you know, those moments when I try, when when I feel like I, I, I'm avoiding certain things, uh, you know, maybe at times I allow myself to do that. But the hope is that I'm allowing myself to persistently think about those moments and, and develop in a way that allows me to affirm connections, get out of bed, uh, have some grace for myself so I can practice what yeah. I need to practice and, yeah. and move forward in a way with, um, with consideration that I'm also just a human with a nervous system that struggles with a lot of different things. But the hope is that due to my privilege and safety, I can go out and develop um, the skills that really resonate with me. So it's a process. Um, and I know all of us have our own way with dealing with that. But that's a good question, Ron. Like, and how, why do you ask yeah. that? I mean, obviously it's loaded. You're going through something like that or you experience that. So how do you deal with it? Good question. Thank you for asking me. I was waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally run and now's I my time to shine guys occasionally run and I message each other during the podcast to give each other a note or like to, to just to like communicate a little bit i've got 15 run messages in the last five minutes they're just saying can you please shut up i want to talk can you ask me a question any question <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't messaged me at all, but you can tell. You can tell. Well, I think it's so. It's something I've been thinking about a lot because I, yeah. you know, a few several episodes ago, you and I talked to um, uh, Scott Stabile, and we talked about the nervous system, like what is going on with our nervous system prior to an emotional downward spiral. Like the moments preceding mm, when we question. when we like slip under the surface yeah. of our own stability, and we lose their sense of safety, and we lose our sense of self and and hope for a future. And I've been trying to notice and get back. You know, if I could move a tape, you know, the timeline backwards, or to bring more a kind of like gauges online the dashboard of what's going on in my body you know, like what's the temperature, what's the, what's the inner pressure, what are, whatever other metaphors need to be there to go, how much of this is just my nervous system not responding well to what's going on? And can I Absolutely. over override that nervous system or, or bypass or give it a little bit of time to deal with it? And I, I've been like, I've been following a guy, I don't know how much of this stuff I believe. I, it seems a little bit too good to be true, but I, I've been following a guy on Instagram who purports that our trauma is stored physically in fascia and other parts of our body and that by stretching mm. a certain way and doing that kind of thing. And I've heard that a lot through yoga and other things that you can release trauma and release bad memories and, and the effect of those things on you. And, and I've, I've even heard, um, Gabor Mate some, say something similar. So I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on it, 
but I'm also recognizing that actually, you, you know, if you've been in a car wreck and you feel the car wobble, like you're going to have a startle response and absolutely. Yeah. So, so in the, in the, in the wild of relationships, work, um, friendships, other things like that, what are those wobbles? And then how can we address our, our I, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying, I'm trying to notice it more often. Well, and the more I can bring attention to it, the, the easier it is for me yes. to, to just give myself room to feel the feelings and feel, be afraid for a moment or be mad for a moment or whatever it might be, breathe. Um, I guess, I guess a real world example of this is I was, I've been working with um, some folks recently that I get along with really well. And there was one person I was working with where I was started to notice these like really particular ticks this guy had. And it bothered, it like got under my skin in a way that I just did not expect. I was like, holy shit, I find this person extremely annoying. And in the way this person ticks, and I was sitting there thinking about it, and I felt my judgment. I texted somebody else about it. I was like, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with this human being. And for some reason, I just decided that I decided to, to number one, recognize that what I'm judging this person is probably something I'm judging about myself. Like, like, mm -hmm. I don't like, there's probably, it's probably some just weird yeah, self sh shadow idea. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, then, then my brain said, okay, let's give this person the benefit of the doubt. Long story short, within like three or four questions, this guy's starting to tell me about being a combat vet and getting blown up um in in iraq in the early 2000s and suddenly the ticks made perfect sense and suddenly this person's you know stuff yes. and i was like fuck i can't believe that i was allowing this that guy's reaction to life to bother me and to create these crazy inner stories and judgments against this person that had nothing to do with anything they're just my made-up bullshit in my mind about this person and the moment I yeah. gave this just a little bit of room for curiosity, for noticing what I was judging is really just self-judgment and, and then giving him space to tell his story. And the, and when that door opened up, man, I was like, I felt bad, you know, that I, that I had any yeah. story like that going on. Yeah. And then <laughs> real, a lot of gratitude. Now, now every time I see him, I'm like grateful to see him. I'm like, yeah, there he is. There's like, there's a, Somebody's like doing the best they can with what they got right now. And he's doing a really fucking good job. Yeah. If only we could. What, what a beautiful example. Go ahead, Daniel. No, please. Um, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Ron, because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I believe you said, you know, your nervous system is reacting to something that's like not pleasant for you. And the moment you kind of called awareness to that and were able to establish some sort of connection you heard this person's story. And so now you're aware of, of, of this person and his life and or his, his deficits and maybe experiences, which allows you to kind of sit with yourself and recognize that, you know, this is not about me right now. It's about how I can, you know, provide connection to this person in a way that is safe and consistent and predictable. Well, and that ability to connect the ticks that he had or the uh, a physical movement that he had to his story. And I would think that in your job, spending so much time around children who have varying degrees of trauma that probably have some universal 
physical responses to that. And then you go out into the wild 100%. and notice those in other people. And now you've got some compassion. Of course, you're still presuming to some extent what's wrong with them. But I remember one day, this is, this is a really, sorry, were you going to say something, Dave? No, go ahead. I remember one day, one, one day Dave came home and we were talking about something around some stuff uh, like that was challenging for one of us. Uh, the the conversation with, that we're having right now kind of it was on display, and he and he goes, he said something to the effect of that I was very very similar to the kids that he you know that he mm. helps, and I don't mean like mm. in a way. I mean he's like, yeah, you could have been one of those kids because of what happened in my past, and yeah, and. And my, uh, I, I got scared when he said that, you know, because that was one of the experiences in my life that was like, you kind of fucked up, you know, and he didn't put it that way, of course. And I don't mean fucked up in a negative way, but he's like, sure. That was where I, I really started to realize, oh, I need to take care of myself as if I'm a traumatized kid, hmm. you know, because some mm. part of me probably is replaying that story or that experience. I don't know either, Ron, and I really appreciate you paying some lip service or tipping your cap to that you don't know if like trauma is stored in the body. I know that's a yeah. huge catchphrase right now. I think it's also a pretty clunky catchphrase and I think it's actually more of a metaphor than the physical truth. And I could be wrong about that. I'm not a professional. It's just my gut feeling having tried that phrase on for a long time. Um, I don't know if it's literally stored in the body, like it's a computer system or something, but it's certainly there's remnants, you know, there's an, there's a, a, the habits, movement habits around it, you know, and I don't know if you can release it either. And I mean this, I don't know. You, you certainly could, but um, maybe it doesn't release. Maybe you just feel it, recognize it, and then it dissipates, you know, I don't know. The mind and the body are, are funny like that, but man, when David came home that day and said that, you know, I go, oh shit. And it changed the way I started to take care of myself. And then you don't want to victimize yourself, but it started, it gave me the opportunity to fill in the story between those gaps, you know, and then write my own story afterwards. And the, uh, the, the upshot of it and that is to learn to take care of yourself, you know, yeah. because what you mentioned about, you know, when you were talking just last run, the things that we can do to take care of better care of our body and our mind greatly affect our ability to choose what we do with our life, you know? Absolutely. And if, you know, you say this all the time, Ron, I love it. I'm really curious about what you think about this, David, because you have to provide this type of care for people and for yourself. And when are you neglecting mm -hmm. yourself because of other people? Absolutely. But you're like, Ron, you'll spin out sometimes and then you go, oh, I needed to drink water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, how, like making a little chart, when I don't have enough water in me, I'm 5% more likely to make a choice that isn't aligned with what I want. When I don't have enough sleep, that's 7%. Yeah. When I am drinking too much coffee, that's 3%. When I am spending too much time around other people and not by myself, percentage. You know, you could probably like chuck a little percentage out there. Well, what if I'm doing seven of those things? Now I'm 25%, which means I'm going to fuck up, you know? I just think that that is yeah. a, that Huberman type of way of looking at our mm -hmm. mind and our, our hardware, this body and, and taking good care of it. And then that setting us up for success. Absolutely. I wanted to come back to the you know, body keep score thing real quick. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I do want to, I, I do want to cast a shadow of doubt on. Remember what you were going to say though, David. Please do, please do. But I, yeah, I, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I want to yeah, go back. Sure, there, sure. there was a guy on, on the Lex Friedman podcast a while back named, um, Michael uh, Levin, who is a who is a biologist, PhD at Tufts University, and he was talking mm -hmm. about <clears throat> there's a 
uh, an organism that has been studied since the 1950s. It's the, it's the largest single cell organism and it can be found mm. anywhere, like in any body of water, freshwater, salt water, a puddle of water, uh, North pole, South pole. Like it is, it is everywhere. And they started to do these tests with these things. I, I highly recommend you guys go listen to the episode. It'll blow your mind, especially around what we're talking about with our nervous system and can our body hold on to something. And what they found was they could, what's interesting about this organism is it can be, it can be split infinitely and it will grow into a perfect copy of its previous self an infinite amount That's of times. Incredible. And, and if they take one of those, uh, a generation of it, and then they shock it, you know, they shine a light and then shock it. They condition it to be afraid of a light. You split that thing a hundred times, 200 times, the generations of that will still continue to have that same response. This is a worm, right? It's a worm. Yeah. A single cell though. And yeah. if you were to then kill those things, dry them up and feed them to a different generation who'd never had been, um, conditioned that sure. next generation will then be conditioned to have that same response. And I, and I forgot about it until we were just talking right now. And now I'm kind of like recanting what I'm, <laughs> what I was saying earlier about, it. I don't know if it's stored in our body. Like it, it, I have a phrase I've been saying for a while well, to my wife and others where it's like, it's probably not what we think, but it's also weirder than we could ever imagine. Yeah. And, and man, like I, you know, our bodies really are dealing with shit that we just don't even, it's just not on our radar. What were you going to say, Dave? Yeah. You know, I really appreciate this conversation. I think, Ron, you might have touched on or, or we're going to mention the book, but there's this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. Maybe you two have heard of it. Yeah, he um, mentioned it. I, I forget yeah. the author. Powerful book. I have a copy of it. I haven't jumped into it yet. And I know um, it's really important in the line of work that I do. But I can share a personal experience, you know, um, you know, early on childhood trauma stuff that I experienced. Um, well, how do I want to say that? Yeah, I, you know, I have my own experiences growing up. And um as a you know 40 year old man now uh, actually this happened a couple of years so long story short i went home uh my dad can be a really charismatic but also imposing figure and you know i definitely have memories of him when he was emotionally dysregulated where he would stomp around the house you know he's kind of heavy-footed broad-chested big old mustache and uh that wasn't the safest time and once again i have an incredible relationship with my dad my dad was 23 and just recognizing how we're all immature and developing in various ways. So I can, I can heal that wound for myself. But, um, you know, as a late 30 something year old, I went home, my dad was stomping around for whatever reason. And literally I froze and my, my brain went blank for a split second. Yeah. Shoulders Dis came up. I was like, disassociation. Oh. Yeah. That's totally, disassociation. totally 30 something plus. And that was wow. still a process for me. And so pretty powerful, um, and, and, uh, um, insightful, which once again, I'll say it this way, I'm grateful for these experiences because it allows me to be of service to others. And I'll say it uh, also that it is an absolute privilege to work with the people I do. You know, I failed out of college. <laughs> I don't have a college degree. I graduated from a police academy and all of my experience in education has come from, you know, working with the clients that I do and the wonderful educated prof uh, professionals that I work with you know, psychiatrists, therapists, uh, you know, clinical program managers. And so I'm, I am so grateful for that opportunity. And 
long story short, those experiences allow me to stay at, uh, well, hopefully at work in my wise mind, right? Which is like a DBT framework, I believe, where I'm, I'm practicing all the skills and experiences or utilizing my experiences in a way that help me stay grounded because I need to professionally. That definitely translates into my work or uh, personal life as well. But it definitely, our bodies do keep an account in some way, whether yeah. it's nervous system, whether it's conscious or unconscious and being able to call forth or recognize those moments consciously is a fucking superpower, my friends. It's, mm. it's incredible. It's such an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and again, no, not to play the contrarian, you know, I just teasing out what we mean by it's stored in the body. Cause from sure. the story you just said, that doesn't sound like it's something stored in your body. That sounded like an emotional mind, mental, psychological response that was, mm-hmm. that has a very a greased groove expression mm-hmm. in your body. Absolutely. You know, the, the shoulders up and I, I, I intimately know what you're talking about, but is that stored in your body or is there just a really practiced bodily response to a psychological, emotional, you know, and then does that differ from other traumas that are maybe more body oriented that then trigger, you know, an emotional response. And I, I, it's probably not one or the other, but I do think that that conversation of, you know, cause I've seen, this is where this comes from. I had a partner one time who was very into, I have trauma in my body, trauma. In my, she told this story mm-hmm. so much. I'm like, every time you say that, I never said this to her because it would have been not received well. And I don't think at the time I would have had the ability to, say it um uh with compassion you know but she would quote like release stuff but years would pass and her life never changed and i and i then i heard a book or i heard someone say one time speak to what i'm saying i can't remember who it was but they were saying you can also go too far with quote releasing stuff or going into emotion and you're actually just greasing the groove of feeling that emotion you're not releasing Mm. anything and so again, I know it's treading on, you know, thin ice, probably with a lot of people, a lot of people are very protective of their trauma, like say it that way, their trauma, as opposed to like an ephemeral experience of trauma that's moving or can move through them. I think that's an important distinguish, distinction to make in the way we speak about trauma. Oh, this is my experience of trauma. This is temporary. Or do you experience it like this is my trauma? I'm holding on to it. It's part of my identity, you know, and I'm going to go release it. But really you're just going and you know, yes, you're feeling it, but are you creating a gap or some space or some looseness for that trauma to to go through you? If it even can, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know the clinical terminology around all this, but I've been exposed to it and I have my own experience of it. And I think as much, as much as we are accepting this body keeps the score idea, that's mm-hmm. good. I think maybe we can also tease it out and maybe evolve through that. Yeah. And I, I, again, I know that's thin ice, but I'm curious, you know, what do you think about that? Does that trigger anything in you? Which one trigger, you trigger. Yeah, no doubt. Like trigger. trigger. Yeah, and it, <laughs> um, you know, it definitely does. And, you know, I appreciate the framework or the, uh, um, uh, the lens is from my own experience or from your experience and acknowledging that like everybody has their own, uh, way of managing these situations, but um, you know what's really interesting when you were telling or saying uh, saying that Daniel is that you know I was thinking about the experiencing self and then and the narrating self, 
So if I were a person, and I want to be really sensitive to this subject matter, but if I were a person who was constantly reinforcing that I have trauma in my body, yeah. I have this trauma in my body, that's, in my opinion, for myself, I feel like that would, like you mentioned, grease the groove of that identity and story that I have this ongoing trauma in my body and uh, it, it, it's, it's there and it's always present and maybe I'm not working through that. So I guess a couple of things are happening for me. One, I definitely try to, because of my privilege, create stories that allow me to make meaning of my trauma. I think that's really important. Um, and, and try to develop skills to call awareness to it, uh, to manage it and understand it and grow past it. Not always necessarily get rid of it, but just understand it. So that's kind of my experience. And um, I, I think it can be different for everybody, but it's, I think it's definitely important to be mindful of the stories that we're telling ourselves because those stories are really impactful. Yeah. But those, are, those stories are also created through various privileges, experiences, patterns of behavior, environmental factors. So I've experienced- Like Rod some... said earlier, yeah, go ahead. If I could say Ron said this earlier, it's probably kind of not what we think and maybe weirder than what it is. You know, I think it's more individuated or individual. Yeah, um, and, for sure. Uh, well, that's why I want to like buck the system and be like, you know, I'm getting a feeling that the body keeps a score is like, you know, I'm sure his book, you know, I, I've read it too. You know, like, I'm, I'm sure he, it's not that simple. You know, I get that. Yeah, but let's talk yeah. about how it's not yeah. that simple. And one like Absolutely. little trick that I've had success with is put quote, your trauma, say it's an experience of trauma that gives you a little space. And then also, or I, as I've done that, I'll speak for myself, as I've done it, it's loosened my grip, you know, on this, this story, you know, and given me a little mm -hmm. bit of breathing room mm -hmm. to put it now in the past. And so I also will speak about things that I'm ready to move on from as if they're in the past. So a good example is I used to disassociate. I just did it right there. Um, when I would play music in front of people and uh, the story that I had around that was my dad had a really critical eye. Whenever he would look at me doing something, he was, he would jump on me and that made me really sketchy around people when I had to do something while they were watching. And for mm -hmm. decades, man, I would really freak out. And, I, and then, that would be the worst example of that was when I would play music in front of people and I would like leave my body a little bit. I just wasn't present. You know, I, I didn't have the words to express it, express it, but it's a disassociation. You know, now we not kind of know a little bit more about what that is. I went, Oh my God, I'm disassociating. And so having some words to it, understanding what's going on brain wise, starting to work on, on things, helping myself out by like not playing as fast songs. So I have more time to like, you know, not have to be doing something and saying something that's memorized really quickly and you start to like loosen your grip and get a little bit better but then put that fucker in the past yeah so i used to have this experience now part of my brain goes no you still do but that no you still do especially with appropriate safe environments for me to have successes yes. around playing music yep. those two things at a time i get to put this quote trauma in the past and it dissipates so you can't do that with all it's a minor one but that was deeply ingrained and i'm having different experience of life now you know it's amazing and so i i think the way people speak about trauma about emotional experiences like depression or anxiety for me there's ways to move on from that it's it's all everything in the tool bag comes out and there's different degrees of those experiences some of which maybe aren't even healable i don't know but speaking it as if it is not yours but an experience 
and and then potentially putting it in the past, starting to put it in the past with your words. These are ways to gain a little bit of distance to start to have a new life, make some new choices. You know, we talked about that with Rabina Corton uh, about oh. getting stuck on the labels that we pick up and the stories that we've got in our mind. Okay. And I and I said this about myself then. I'll say it again now. It's like <clears throat> when you first hear a diagnosis or a phrase or that you've got trauma and and realize it. There's a there's a reason we want to stay on it because it there, now we have an explanation of why life is hard, and mm-hmm. and that is a that feels like a relief for a lot of folks. Like oh, I didn't realize this is why life is so hard. I didn't realize it's because of something that happened to me or because of a di- of a medical diagnosis or my brain science or whatever it might be. And the temptation, which I think is a legitimate temptation, is to hold on to that for a long time because that diagnosis it's an explanation totally yeah and mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. like finally yeah. the your life makes sense around why why it's been so fucking hard but one and stage to, is recognizing what it is and being diagnosed but that doesn't mean it's a death sentence all the time it it doesn't mean it's ever a death sentence death sentence unless well, it it's might a be death there's probably cer- certain things that are just, they don't go away you know oh certainly i don't think they're yeah um and, a, and that's why I'm saying it's really hard to go to move on from it. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. it's to move on from it is very fucking hard. Yeah. It's really, Absolutely. really, really hard. And it takes so much more effort than we can possibly imagine for each of us to make a daily decision and probably multiple decisions per day to move on from that space. It's yeah. really, really hard. So I, I mean, yes, yes. Um, we want to move out of that maybe spotlight of where we're, where we are. And some people might call it victimhood or victimization of ourself, but I also have to recognize, man, to change, to actually change, whether all we're trying to do is lose weight. Um, I I once heard someone say, you know, 20 to 40 pounds, you just need a new, uh, new routine, uh, over a hundred pounds. You need a therapist. And, mm-hmm. and I heard a, a very seasoned, very successful, um, health coach say that. Mm. And I think about that in our life where, you know, all three of us at some point in our life go, I don't want to live this way. I've been living anymore and I yeah. have to change. It's gotta be different. And, and we're all on this similar path where reading books, we're going to therapy, we're seeing coaches, mm-hmm. we're doing all kind, you know, we're throwing every tool that the tool belt and it takes all that and more and daily energy Absolutely. into doing it. And that, and that I think, you know, speaks to a word you've been using a lot, Dave, which is a privilege. Not everybody has access to, to all that. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that for myself. And that makes me, for me actually work harder because it's like, I found, I found this thing. I have yeah, access okay. to maybe, maybe yeah. other people don't, but for their sake and my sake, I gotta, I gotta take advantage oh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, awesome. You said that Ron. It's it, yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Daniel. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, acknowledging that, right. You know, I was just thinking about it, get a little lateral sometimes, but you know, I think about like, you know, our planet earth and it's in the habitable zone for life to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, if we're going to find alien life, you know, these planets need to be in that kind of habitable zone, if you will. For, for, you know, life, you know, for, for um, complex life to occur. 
but anyway, I say all that because it's like, you kind of have to be in the habitable, habitable zone of life in that flow yeah. to make these changes, to yes. have relationships, to have support systems, to have other resources available to you to make these changes. And it's almost like, well, for me, and you kind of mentioned this wrong, it's like a personal responsibility to acknowledge that I'm in a safe place right now and I have the privilege to make these changes and I want to honor that experience and, and also acknowledge that there are others who don't have those opportunities. And, you know, I'm starting at this book called The Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss and, mm. you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, wrote the, back over the, too, the yeah. intro for it. Yeah. yeah, it's a great book. And he, you know, Arnold said this, he was just like, I stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. I, I, the people in my life helped me to get to this place yeah. and not everybody has those people. Yeah. And if know? we do, it's it a good question to ask yourself at what stage am I in this, this healing of this certain area of my life? And is it time to put it in the mm -hmm. past? Am I ready to? I'm not saying non-compassionately that everyone needs to stop being a victim of everything and they need to stop sure. saying that, you know, that they're experiencing something. I've been overwhelmed by emotions as much as probably anyone on this earth at times. Like Dave, you've, when I said that part in the intro, you stood by me during, literally during the most difficult times of my life. You know, it was within two days of running for a train tracks, you know, 12 years ago. Like, and I'm a tough mm -hmm. person mentally and I couldn't, I was, I was destroyed emotionally. So I get that. That wasn't a time for someone to say, you know, you should probably put this experience in the past and <laughs> just say it's not. It's like, fuck that, man. I'm, I'm barely getting <laughs> yeah. another breath into my lungs. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. So I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to the time that that subtle time when you go, oh, I don't th I think I'm choosing this to yeah. some extent. Mm, yeah. And to to what extent and to what extent can mm -hmm. I regain some of some of this power and choose when I'm ready to be, you know, yeah. and that time also comes. There's a, there's a moment in uh, AA meetings at the beginning of a meeting where we have a moment of silence for those who have not been able to change. And, and mm. the, the mm. language around that is like, we call them the unfortunates. And, and there's like, there's a concept that we don't put any blame on them, that we don't have any judgment for them. That like that, the, 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 that the action process of change is unbelievably hard yeah and yeah and you need all the like that you need the habitable zone you need all the right things and all the right places yeah, that's a great observation yeah. david and, that yeah and not everyone's going to get that and and but for those of us who do get it like we got to fucking well it's not a getting it and or not getting it is everybody probably has some way that they can make their environment a little bit more habitable over time I you would di totally disagree with that statement. How so? Tell me because someone who can't make in any way their life better. Because there are those there are those folks who don't have access to the, even that idea. And you mm. have to like have yeah, that access enough. to that idea. And if you mm. are if you are in extreme poverty and in cycles of of family abuse and things like that and that concept is like lacking in your world and like you know yeah, no, I get that. That's yeah. a good call. However, if you've been exposed to the idea and you can start to do something, uh, you should. Um, but even still, even still, I think that, that there are there's probably a certain amount of population that just can't do it. And I and I don't know why. And I don't it's not to it's not to give me an excuse. Um, but it gives me compassion for others and also some grace for yeah. myself when it's hard. Because it is yeah. hard, man. It's really fucking hard. I mean, it, it really is. And 
I appreciate the dialogue because I think, you know, the question was asked, you know, how do we or how do I kind of recognize when I'm being becoming emotionally dysregulated? And I think it's, you know, that's part of it. It's, well, one, practicing it daily at work. We're talking about 50 hours a week and just like trying to stay in my wise mind. And then two, recognizing like this morning I was getting bagels and I was kind of frustrated about something. And I was just like, just munching at this emotion, this thought. And then I was like, whoa, I was like, slow down. You're, mm. you're buying a fucking breakfast bagel. Like that's $10. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, that's come awesome. on, homie. It's not that serious for me yeah. right now. And, and, and also acknowledging Daniel, what you said, I think, yeah, it's like, you know, the post-traumatic growth that for those individuals who have privilege and resources to grow past those experiences. And, you know, that's a part of the habitable zone space is, is acknowledging this trauma, whatever it is, and then growing after that. And that's such a valuable part of the process. And how to get there is is not always easy or even recognizing that that growth is gonna occur. Oh man, Um, totally. And I mean, we're speaking, our audience for this podcast is privileged and probably entitled people, you know, like, I don't mean entitled in in a negative way, although maybe there's not a non-negative version of entitlement, but I guess I'm just saying that for those of us who do have the privilege to work on ourselves, the goal is to help others. You know, that's, there, mm-hmm. there's this really handsome monk that comes up on, I'm sure you, I don't know his name, but it's like this most beautiful looking human. And he's this monk and he's just like got this fascinating, great voice. I'm sure you've both seen him on your reels. But... Talking about Jay Shetty? No. Um, his, that guy's not a monk, is he? Oh, he was a monk. He was, yeah. So anyways, no, it's not him, but yeah. um, I, there, that monk was saying that our goal in life is to live a pleasant life as much as possible and then help others do the same. And I was like, the way he said it was just, I was like, yeah, exactly. So the people, you know, <laughs> yeah. those, those of us who are able to improve our lives, you know, once we get the more further down we get the more taken care of our attention naturally goes to other people to help out you know and we spoke a little bit of the, uh, about that with um with rabina also and i am a staunch supporter of that little window of when you're getting better how much of what is not better still is still my responsibility how mm. much of it is in my window of choice you know, that idea of Viktor Frankl of like, he would, dude, come on, man. He was in Nazi Germany. He was a Jew in Nazi Germany in fucking Auschwitz. And his yeah. realization, he was a doctor. He was very privileged with education and probably well taken care of. But where he landed in Auschwitz was, this is on me. Can you fucking imagine that? The person who has the entitlement to pass the buck more than anyone is probably a Jewish person being killed by Nazis. That's an on on you, bro. Mm. That's evil and someone else. And he was like, nope, because the buck stops with me on how I choose to absorb the situation I'm in. Now, obviously, that's some gangster fucking cho- personal empowerment, ego strength, right? I'm not the saying we need to do willpower. that. But man, I'm fascinated with how much of this is on me. You know, how much am I victimizing? You know, and. You know, and oh, oh, no, no, not victimizing myself. I'm just in hurting pain here. Okay, good. Okay, good. Notice that spot, Mm -hmm. you know, but that awareness of where that little spot is that where there's some workable tissue, some workable 
You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, this is probably not what your kids can do. I get that. But, you know, we can. Yeah. So yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Once you can, <laughs> once you realize you can, it's like your responsibility to, to humanity to take action around it. And the fucking mind is a slippery bastard. That thing that I was struggling with, it put me up into anxious space last week, two weeks ago. You know, I was really bothered by it. And, and I called up Ron and Ron just gave me compassion. I was surprised. Like, I know, he, well, not surprised he gave me compassion, but he was like, dude, I know what you mean. And he had a personal example. And then after that, he called back, a few, or we talked about a few days later. He goes, how you been feeling around that? Which I really appreciate you asking, by the way. And I go, since the moment I spoke to you and you offered that understanding, I haven't really thought about it. It went from thinking about it hours a day to nothing. You know, oh, I could do something about it. I called a friend, you know, and fuck, you know, but one of the big realizations of that was I was now playing a victimhood cycle by being a victim of someone else's victim, you know, mentality. Mm, yeah. I was like, oh, that's not on them anymore. Now I'm the one connecting the dots of the beginning and the end, like you said, David, to be a story that makes me to be a victim. And I was like, okay, not stop that, Daniel, but how do I stop that? Be curious about it. And eventually, you know, I called Ron and I, I could work it out. Well, that's, that is a point I wanted to, to start to land at is, is <clears throat> there is the notion of our personal responsibility under the realization of what's going on. And then mm -hmm. the part B or C or D or F, you know, the other part is like, we need other people in our life to help Absolutely. do some of that heavy lifting. Dude. And, and, and when we find 100%. ourselves in a vacuum and then judge ourselves for not being able to do that mental, spiritual, emotional, heavy lifting, beat ourselves up more and go in a darker place. Like we fucking yeah. need people. We need to have those conversations. We need to get it off our chest. We need the the strength of a group or of another person or, you know, our parents or, you know, like whatever Absolutely. it might be and to recognize it when it's coming along. And, and then when we are in a place where we've done some heavy lifting and we notice somebody else needs some help of just presence. I remember, um, you know, almost nine years ago now going up to Fort Liberty um, to go talk with Daniel and it was the, he was the first human being that I told that I was like, I've got a real drinking problem. And, mm -hmm. and I think the previous time, I think he even, I think he even offered me mead when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a drinker at that time. I was, I was, <laughs> but we went back to, to your office and, and you gave me unbelievable compassion and, and it was, um, you know, a time where you just gave me the space. And I, and I cried some of it out and I, and I had that space to recognize my weakness and recognize the, the, the destruction it caused my life. And, and I say all that to say, um, it can't be overstated how much we need other people and how, and how, yes, it is a personal responsibility. Yes. We have to take extreme ownership and action in our life, but holy shit, it gets way easier with even just one person around and absolutely and, and then to stay in that relationship is very challenging like you you know after the fight you were like i want to be alone i want to be gone i want to sleep it off that's totally normal we i mm -hmm. i that's a isolation is a normal experience because of for a lot of reasons for me i'll say i won't say it about anybody else for me it's shame i'm, a, I'm embarrassed that i mm -hmm. didn't 
prevail to what I wanted to, or didn't ascend to what sure. I thought I needed to be at. Mm-hmm. And, um, but man, we need others big time. Well, let me ask you this. Absolutely. This was my favorite little part of this discussion so far is, well, there's been a couple, but you know, you guys asking each other, I think it was you, Ron, what makes you help, what helps you not be in that place where you don't want to get up in the morning, you know? And I was thinking yesterday about my life and I'm curious about this for you both. You know, what isn't a spot in your life where you just go, God damn, man, I just don't think I can do it. You know, I know you and the three of us have a decent amount amount of awareness and words and tons of resources. But what's that spot in your life where you're just like, I know my life is going to be better if I do this thing consistently, if I become this way. It's right in front of you. There's it's, there's no confusion about it, but it just feels like too much. Hmm. Hmm. I don't. Oh, that's a really good I'm gonna. Question. At this moment, right now, I don't feel like I have one of those spots. However, a year ago, or even 72 hours ago, or maybe nine hours from now, I may not say that same thing. And mm. and I think that, um, you know, for for me, because this is a conversation, Daniel, I've been having a long time. A long time for me, that's like. Uh, earning the amount of money that I feel like I'm capable of earning. That would have been something I would have said, I wouldn't have known to say in the past. And now I know I can say it because I felt intelligent enough. I felt like I could work hard enough, but it just seemed to elude me. Like, why can't I step into this place of success? And, Hmm. And it felt totally impossible to really step into the level of earning that I wanted. That's a pretty amazing thing for you to say. So you don't feel like there's any spot in your life. I'm sure at the beginning of not drinking, that was one. I imagine. Oh, big sm- time. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Yeah. It was, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, so I stopped February 13th, um, 2011. And, uh, is that right? My, my public math is not Whatever. good. It's Whatever. nine years ago. In yeah, February. nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the week of my birthday, which is February 28th. I'm sitting in there in a meeting and I'm listening to men who have had more years of sobriety by the skin of their fucking teeth, by their fingernails, by bloody noses and like broken backs. Mm -hmm. I mean like every effort in their bodies to get there. Then years I'd been alive. They had done it for longer Mm -hmm. than I'd been alive. And in that moment, of listening to them, I had this download from whatever it was, God, universe, that this isn't coming back. I don't get to come back to the, mm. to drinking. And that hurt worse than when my dad died. Ron told me when that it was like losing his best friend. Yeah. It was the thing I could rely on more than anything else in my life. It was a tool that 100% worked every time. If I wanted to be happier, it got me happier. If I wanted to be funnier, it got me funnier. If I wanted to be braver, mm-hmm. I was braver. If I wanted some mm-hmm. some solace and feeling down, it gave it, it gave it to me. It it gave you know it was always there. And and I just did, at, at that moment I just didn't know how it was going to go away. And yet at that moment when I realized like it's not coming back, 
and I asked my higher power to remove the compulsion to drink, I felt a physical change in my body and that compulsion to drink left me. And, and I don't, I don't say that publicly very often because it sounds so woo woo, but it fucking did. And, and I, and I went from disassociating grocery stores where I would suddenly find myself in the liquor section or the wine section or the beer section, just standing there, not knowing how I got there to walking through those sections or walking by like with no, without any doubt. I was, I was laughing to myself the other night cause I was walking by a woman doing something weird by, um, in the park. I live in a, in a very nice neighborhood and she was looking at me. She's like looking around and, and she put something on top of uh, the cover of a trash can and she goes, I think somebody else will want these. I don't want them. And it was a six pack of beer full. And like, you know, 10 years ago, I'd been like, yeah, <laughs> like pay dirt. <laughs> I hit it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what If I could say what an incredible like example of like the, the macro situation for yourself, Ron, it's like, you know, uh, you, nine years ago, that would have been everything for you. Now yeah. you can touch yeah. that memory touch that experience in a way with skills that allows you to distance yourself from it and also kind of chuckle about it. If, if I can yeah. assume that yeah. is such yeah. a powerful mechanism. It's so important. Yeah. How about, how about you, David? Oh man, I was thinking about this. I mean, I guess I could say a lot of things. Um, you know, there's always the thought of like, whether I'm going to go back to school, education, maybe become a therapist, um, utilize my skill set in various ways. By the ways. way, you would be an excellent fucking therapist. I've been thinking oh. about that this whole time. I'm sure I'm not the Thanks first person that. to say that. That means a lot. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I think for me, I'll, I'll maybe to kind of like drift in some of the, into the personal like romantic zone. It, it's it drift in personal relationships, if you will. You know, I I have a call to, or I should say this. I think settling down with a partner and the thought of marriage and kids, uh, I think due to various reasons, childhood stuff really make, make me anxious. And I know that like, like you said, Daniel, it's, it's probably something that would benefit me and provide great joy and value to my life, but I'm still unsure. And, and that's kind of scary. It's a scary proposition. It's also kind of sad in some ways, but Mm. also I have a, I feel like my calling is kind of elsewhere and maybe that sounds kind of woo, and the other a while ago, I had a dream. I kind of woke up with this voice in my ear, and it was like, "It's time to make the sacrifices in life for the things you want." Mm-hmm. And those sacrifices weren't like, "Oh, you know, you need to make these sacrifices so you can be in a relationship. You need to make mm-hmm. certain sacrifices to continue to grow at, in 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 this identity that you're current currently cultivating." So. Yeah, does that make sense? Does it that does. I, I hear you, man. Maybe a better question would have been what are some areas that, you know, you, instead of not being able to, to, uh, to make any ground on that you are ready to, or are. And, you know, I know for me, like a good, clear one was my relationship to tech that feels like I'm snagged by the balls, you know? Oh, gotcha. And I just yeah. don't, I know my life would be better if I spent less time or had a more clear boundaries around my phone. And I just don't, you know, and that, and it feels like if, like the efforts I do make, make the day really hard, you know? And so I just mm-hmm. feel trapped, you know, it's a bummer, you know, and, and that hard dopamine reset, you know, gotcha. I think that's what's on the table mm-hmm. for me. Consistent sleep is another one that just, I don't feel like I can do it, you know, but mm-hmm. if I really get down to it, I can make those a little bit easier, both of them. And I do each day I make effort 
favorites, but those are probably areas in my life where it's just like, God damn it, you know? Yeah. And in the past, it would be like around romance. That's probably still one, you know, my, my worst parts and the things I've done really shitty in the world come, come usually when I'm compromised by a, an anxious attachment to another person and lack of care for myself, which then spreads into other people. You know, mm, like these are things that articulate that. Yeah, I've just been, I've yeah. been beat up by him and I feel overwhelmed and bullied by my own mind, you know? Yeah. And so I just, that, that dial, I almost wish we would have started this conversation with a question like that, because I know you too, as much as anyone I know in this world are on that path. And in a way where those things that were way too much years ago are now, okay. Like you're getting better. And so, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. what's next? You know, is there a snowball effect where, I feel like maybe Ron, my, you and me, at least I, I, I don't spend as much time around David anymore, but I'm curious, like, I almost feel like I'm really close to a snowball situation. that's really scaring me where I don't have any more excuses. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know I mean? Thanks I mean? for clarifying that, you know, uh, as you were, as you were saying all that, Daniel, you know, I think for me is like, you know, discipline. Um, I, I, there are various things in life that I want to continue to practice and become like a virtuoso in whether it's my professional practice or my physical practices and the the discipline discipline required to do those things uh i think for me is is, is pretty big pretty profound and so i really want to hone in on that and yeah. and and develop the skills required to to um develop that process how I think would that's you do like that where I'm at how that. would you increase your your expression or use of uh experience of discipline by five or ten percent each day how would you how uh, would you i mean yeah that? that's a really good fucking question i think to to kind of uh you know paraphrase what you said or to mirror what you said you know uh consistent uh patterns or habits regarding sleep wake up time gym time work time and what that looks like afterwards and and scheduling certain things that are really important to me on that, uh, on um, scheduling things that really resonate and are important to me, so I can complete those tasks, mark them off the list, if you will. And I tend to be more of a freeform jazz player, you know. I tend to do this type of stuff and play music like that versus rather consistently. So, becoming more consistent and disciplined by by honing on the basic habits that facilitate that process. I'm going to use that as a segue to um, to plug an episode that's yet to be made where Daniel's going to explain something he's been working on for a lot of years called his crush it list. Yeah. And, and I, I, I would say the same thing, David, like I, I'm a, I'm a free form jazzist <laughs> in my brain. You guys are totally. <laughs> and, and... Also known as, uh, um, H A D D. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And, yet, and yet it's been, it's through effort and discipline that I've gotten everything all the big goals Absolutely. I've won in my life have been on the other side of, of consistency, effort, and discipline. And there's a lot of things that I continue to push back and avoid applying effort and discipline and consistency over when I know, man, it would change everything if I did that. Exactly. And just tilting the nose of the ship by one degree yeah, yeah. 10 mm -hmm. years later. I Absolutely. just keep thinking of that. Mm -hmm. How many degrees can I reasonably, sustainably tilt the nose of this ship to get me into a place to have more capacity, better experience of life and help some motherfucking people, you know, it's just like, yeah. doesn't mean need to be now, but more so as time goes on. And yeah, David, it's been awesome having you on here. We know you got a meeting to, to get to. Um, I do. Yeah. I mean, I want to encourage you to do that as you were teaching or talking to us earlier. I was like, that guy, that guy's got a, a big gift to help others and, and whatever, whatever that looks like as a therapist or whatever it might be, man, like, 
you know, follow it, stay, stay hot on that trail. Cause you, you give a great gift to humanity through that. Well, I appreciate you saying that Ron and, and Daniel, thank you so much. It's been a, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to have these conversations and uh, yeah, I, I'm really grateful. So thank you. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, come back sometime. I, I, I uh, had this idea to have discussions recurring discussions that wouldn't as much be a person coming as a guest as it would be joining Ron and I for a discussion on a certain topic. And I think that might bring out a little bit more of what you have to offer for people. And so I'll probably bug you about that at some point in time, but really appreciate you. Love you, man, so much. And and just thank you so much. What do you guys think of an exhibition boxing match between the two of you? Oh, I would get destroyed. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I don't know. It'd be be one hell of exhibition fight for sure. (laughs) More combat experience. 40 pounds and, yeah, and what yeah. else? On, at man. least. <laughs> yeah. No. I would lose in a melee between the three of us. The better question would be between you two. Uh, I, oh, my yeah. my right shoulder contest. immediately starts to hurt thinking about trying to throw a punch. There like, you go. Dude, you're the champion. Done. Two people we just submitted. <laughs> now I know. Thanks for that information, Ron. But to wrap this up, to, to bookend it, the, the, the physical motion that David made at the beginning of this when I when he listened to that is a is a it comes from a joke reel or a little YouTube story about a, a guy whose chickens come to prostrate themselves at, at his doorstep. I can't remember the actual joke, but he in it. Do you remember that story? Yeah, it's all about like this guy. It's, he's a comedian. He's talking about like gains and how he needs to consume <laughs> many funny. chickens. And he's like, the chickens come to me and they're like ready to, to give me their gains. And so, <laughs> you know, the joke is like, I, I'm ready to acknowledge that, you know, many things whenever, in life. And whenever you have to, no pun intended, eat crow, that it's another way that you humble yourself. We have this one friend, this is the last thing I said, I promise. This one friend, he's kind of a big guy and not maybe totally very mobile. And he also hates prostrating himself to people <laughs> yeah. and eating crow. And what? And he see me and David. We lay our head to the side and down, like you can cut our head off. And we put our little chicken wings out. And one day, this guy goes, "You got me." And then he he like about a half of a centimeter tilts his head to the right and puts down his his hands like barely come up. And that was his version of like prostrate. It was so fucking funny. You remember that moment? Oh, oh so yeah, good. I'll never forget it. All right, man. Love uh, you. Well, thanks again, fellas. I really appreciate you it. You bet, man. Good to see you, David. Take care, bud. Thank you. Progressing cover sign, David Robles. David Robles. Have I been saying Robles wrong my whole life? Robles. I think it means oak tree, if that helps your pronunciation at all. <laughs> that feels like non-information. <laughs> It feels like you just wasted everyone's time by saying that. Well, he's always been really strong, stable friend of mine. So I, I like that his name means Oak. That's actually pretty solid. Yeah. For me. What's your last name so, mean? Some bullshit. Um, you know, they say it's got um, East Indian roots. The East Indies. Wow. Yeah. What an interesting. Do you ever feel like you wish you were required to spend the rest of your life in just a certain part of the world so you could actually go deep on, on a part because there's so many like worlds in this world you know like i don't know hardly anything that you, you mean like live, a couple times you mean like live in, in one location 
your life now from now, yes, now on, you have to live in the main region in where Maine is. Yeah. That your whole life's going to be spent there. Oh, no, I take it back. Now you're, you got next life. Now you got to live it in southwestern Africa. But you can never leave. That's your whole life. God, how amazing that would be. Yeah. I try to do that when I, whenever I land somewhere. I, like I tried to, to get decades. to the, I tried to get to the, to get to know that area really, nice. really well. I do. Nice. Like when I lived in England, I, I, I did not let myself leave England oh, to travel. Awesome. And I would make myself travel in England to see it and check it out. Cause I okay. was like, Oh, I could go to Europe. I could go to, you know, anywhere. I was like, no, let's, let's check out England. And I did, yeah. did that for two years. It's amazing. Well, <clears throat> And shit, I do that a lot in my neighborhood, dude. I've walked fucking every sidewalk within four square miles. Of, yeah, you do a good job poking you know, your snout in different places. I just walk into people's front doors, ask what they're having for, for a brunch. Me and a friend used to do that. That, that One time we, we said we were going to go out on the town for the night, and we would walk down a certain road in, in downtown Portland, and every open door business appropriate for us to walk in relatively on our right on the side what we would go into and what a cool exercise it was we got our snout into all kinds of cool places we would never would have gone it took mm -hmm. us several hours to go a few blocks and we knew those blocks so much more like what a great idea that was and we strike gold sometimes that's awesome well i'm glad you brought david on david's a good guy it took a while i don't feel like the conversation never got off the to be honest i felt it did i would I disagree with you on that i don't really? know maybe you had an expectation that was too high I did. That's maybe true. you that's true. you know that's that's a you had a you had to to stay on the theme of the um conversation you had an internal model a voice telling you <laughs> what this needed to be and and it was just like a little pit bull that was like stuck on a bone <laughs> well bob's like, my uh, own my own fault i didn't feel like you know, sometimes you feel like you bring it, you know, and I just, I don't know, sometimes uh, you tell a story that just goes a little bit too long and then you miss, you can tell someone else had something to say, but now they don't come back to it. And I just felt like we were a little off, but not to put too much attention on that, you know, I, people get things out of episodes that I would just, sometimes I'm like, whoa, we missed on that one. And then someone will contact me and be like, oh yeah, hey, this meant so much. So I just, I don't worry about it, but yeah. you know, I don't want what David also does. you you and David and I especially you and David when we have conversations they're hours and hours long like it's mm -hmm. like you know you, there's a ton of bandwidth a ton of time to Good lay call. on things yeah and this is a pretty finite amount of time and it's hard to it's hard to like get on something and stay there for for a while I mean I just listened to um a, a Joe Rogan episode yesterday where he's bullshitting with a good pal of his like we're all over the fucking place and it I was, and i was having to like skip through the episode to, to, to hopefully land on something it's like oh this is just some dudes hanging out that's <laughs> well, all this is this is an episode yeah. of due time part of it too is sometimes i get a bone you know and i want to let it go you yeah. know and sometimes i get in my own way on that and a little there's a little bit of that around the body keeps a score discussion and i want to make Make it You're cool, getting like, a just... little triggered around that. You're getting a little. Oh, I would like, say triggered. I mean, I a hear little you, but... triggered. No, I just I I don't want to <laughs> trying to trigger you. Have a I have a good valid valid point. You yeah. Know? I want and I but sometimes the way I say it gets in the way of delivering this 
and opening up this discussion. And, and thankfully, I felt like we did get there. But that idea of speaking about something that I that you know that we have emotion around and doing so gracefully is something I've always appreciated about both you and David. You know, you don't you don't really do that. You know, and so you know, just to like. Yeah, I felt like there was a little riding the ship too that had to happen, which did thankfully. Because mm, mm. I don't really like I know this. That's not what this podcast is about. We don't know shit. We're in yeah. the process of learning. That's what we're doing is we're sharing our learning process. You know, you want to go to a Huberman and actually learn facts. You know, go go there. Yeah. But this is a process oriented podcast. We're some dudes working it out, trying it out, man. But yeah. by the skin of our teeth, by the hair of our chinny chin chin. <laughs> yeah yep. that's true totally and david is doing a good job and he's ahead of me in some ways that i really admire i think we're all doing a good job and we're all we all have our our difficulties and and it doesn't mean i mean when you were asking me that question about like what's hard for you right now like mm. at this moment nothing feels hard but i can't i i'm i know that's not going to be this this the truth in a number <laughs> of days or hours like something will come up where I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Well, how good, how cool for you that there's nothing that's overwhelming right now. That's, that's so cool. man. Yeah. It feels good. But how many times have I spoken with you over those last two years at 10 o'clock at night or, or whatever it is on some check-in and I'm like, I don't know what to do, man. Like, mm. I, you know, I'm tired of dealing with this thing in my life. Yeah. Countless, that's been interesting. Right. <laughs> Countless no, a few. Well, it feels countless to me. I mean, it feels like to have to return to, to something feels like, oh, God, why am mm -hmm. I dealing with this again? Isn't that interesting the way something is and the way it feels to you? This is why I think words are important, mm -hmm. you know? If it's countless, no, it was probably like eight. That's not anywhere near countless. But I'm not good with numbers, you, so past no, no, three, no, I'm it's not, many. No, I'm trying to validate you. <laughs> I know. Your I, experience I know. of it is it's countless. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. When the reality is very few, but it feels countless, the feeling is your experience, you know? So is there a way to close that gap between the objective reality and your experience being so different, you know? And noticing the ways we exaggerate, you know, and tell stories that are really you know, again, exaggerated and exaggerated in a way that doesn't help us long, long term yeah. if, if we're creating that truth via those words, but also honoring our feeling and our actual experiences. That's such a tricky, interesting, you know, experience to work out. Yeah. It makes me think of this, uh, of an Amazonian village, people group, um, the kind of still living in the stone age where they don't have a name for a number over the, over like five. Really? Yeah. So or maybe oh, it's that's... their fingers or something like that. It's like something wow. they can touch. And wow. then beyond that number, they just say many. So beyond what they can wow. like count on their hands or fingers or whatever, it's like Gosh. many. And, and now that we have this like access to quantification in our own life and even with like dealing with our to-do list, right? life can feel super overwhelming but to your point how much of that is because of the story that we've got around it and and i, I know that sto that negative story I've, i mean i was i've been re-listening to episodes we've done with you know from the latest one with um rabina back to scott stabile where um i talk often about an inner voice that told me there's certain things in my life that will be impossible to get over. 
And I listened to that voice for many, many, many years. And my experience has been to understand why that voice happens, understand that I have agency in responding to that voice, that I can change the tone of that voice, that I can ask questions back to that voice that, that dissipates its power, um, that that conversation can begin to dissipate. And, and now I'm at a place in my life where it's like, it's really rare to hear from that voice. Wow. It's really rare. But there was Just a time when it was like recently constantly going. I remember three years, two, three years ago, that was the thing that was on the chopping block. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Big time. I mean, I mean, two years ago is really when it, it all changed, but I, but it's been since then a daily and, and often many times a day experience of, of any time, even just the hint of it starts to come around going, nope, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a left where I used to take a right. And I'm going to sit down when I used to stand up, or I'm going to stand up when I used to sit down, whatever it might be. And yet there are you know, still days where I'm like, I'm going to fuck off for a long time. You know, <laughs> For sure. Jim Carrey, I just watched a little story he was telling about playing the Grinch, a holiday, mm. holiday, a little holiday theme here. And yeah. the the Grinch costume was um, claustrophobic. It, it really was freaking him out. It was just too much makeup. It felt like he said it felt like being buried alive. So they brought in, I think it was like Navy SEALs or something to help teach him how to deal with his emotions around that because he had to spend all day in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing that they did, I've been doing this the last couple of days, is whenever his brain would spin out, they had like three or four things that he could do to just kind of snap him out of it. One of them was just hitting his own thigh, like hard, you know, mm-hmm. just to shoot, just to like get your little clicker, like yeah. a little clicker that you use when yeah. you would notice yourself doing things, just to have a physically embodied thing that would like get you out. Those are slightly two different things, but, you know... I think, you know, tools like that, when we can recognize places where they're, where we are ready to move on, where our psyche has healed. I mean, maybe this is the distinction around this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying where it's still an open wound, but when it's healed, but our language and our actions and behavior hasn't updated. Yeah. And so our language sort of like causes that story to hang around and exist. And maybe, maybe if nothing else, just makes things status quo and they stay. But if our language, doop, you update that language, it's going to feel like it's not authentic at first sometimes. But then I've noticed in some things that I say differently that all of a sudden my life gets to move on in a different, in, to a new extent because the language is now different. I'm saying things like a different person. That's a green flag. If you want to be different, it's probably going to look and sound different, you know, yeah. to some extent. And I just, I'm, I'm as much as anything in this world, Ron, I think that uh, where we hold ourselves back and where we can reclaim ground and develop and grow and change that's in our control is, is just a great conversation, man. Yeah. Liberating, truly liberating. Thanks for another great episode. Yeah. Thanks. You're man. welcome. Yeah. Thank you for participating and... And let's uh, let's go be better. You know, one yeah. one way I think I'm going to be better today is, um, because of this episode, thinking about the things that we've been talking about. I think that I can, I can live a little bit of a better life. I, I feel f- encouraged, truly. Yeah. Good. You no. Know? So let's let's go do that. Let's go be a little bit better. Yeah. Same. I think for me is is to recognize. I'm not always going to feel this confident <laughs> as I do right now. Nice. And when it comes to, to question that 
that feeling of insecurity and go, hmm, what's going on right now? Interesting. Well, send me a send me a voice memo later and, and tell me how you're doing, right? Yeah, we'll do, man. All right. <laughs>